Welcome to the Pioneers in Europe podcast, where we discuss opportunities, challenges, life, and missions across Europe. today with Ted Essler joining us on the podcast. And uh, Ted, though he's not currently a field missionary in Europe, uh, has a lot of uh, experience and uh, just knowledge and some particular, particularly unique uh, recent experiences that we wanted to uh, have him on the show. So welcome, Ted. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate being here. And I love Europe. And I know God loves Europe. And I'm excited to think that there are people out there listening to this podcast that have a heart for seeing uh, the heart of Christ in Europe. Absolutely. Amen. Well, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you currently serve and why uh, Europe is part of that picture now and and even your history with pioneers. Yeah, I I actually spent 25 years in total working uh, with pioneers and 10 of that was as a field worker and I worked in Bosnia and I was there most of the decade of the 1990s. And, of course, those were the war years in Croatia and Bosnia. started out in Croatia, and then as the Dayton Peace Accords were signed and it became a little more stable, moved down uh, into Sarajevo and worked with the team there for a couple of years. And eventually our family moved back um, across the ocean, but not to the U.S., to Canada, where I was the Canadian director for Pioneers for a time. And then I moved to the U.S. Office of Pioneers in Orlando, Florida, where I still live. Thirteen years, I worked as either executive VP or a similar type role um, in the Pioneers U.S. Office. And during that time, I had the opportunity to be a part of some training and different types of ministry in Europe and try to keep um, somewhat active and involved uh, as I can with European ministry. And about two and a half years ago, I was appointed as the president of Missio Nexus, and Missio Nexus is the North American Mission Association. So it's the the mission agencies and about 200, 225 churches that have banded together and were essentially like an evangelical alliance as people would know them in Europe. So tell me about what Missio Nexus does. Is it is it uh global? Is it region-specific? And uh, how does how does one get connected to Missio Nexus? Well, the easiest way to get connected is just go to our website, missionexus.org. And what we do is we try to get people that are trying to solve the same problems to learn from each other and to meet each other and to ga- engage with one another in various projects uh, globally around the world. I would say our, you know, our emphasis really is the North American missions movement. And one of the things that we do is we try to educate people on trends and various things that are happening around the world. And from my perspective, what's going on in Europe right now uh, with the Great Commission is one of the big stories um, in the Global Great Commission. Absolutely. I I believe that to be true as well. And uh, you're actually the first person on the podcast that we're going to talk specifically about uh, what we're seeing uh, on that particular opportunity. So uh, I don't want to steal your thunder. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about uh, your recent trip uh, and then uh, what you see as the great opportunity in Europe? Well, I recently had an incredible trip to Greece uh, and I was on a short term team 
which, you know, I always work in long-term missions, and this is my first time just to be somebody on a short-term team doing ministry. And, um, y you know, the, the big story, obviously, in Europe is with all of the influx of Islamic immigration into the European areas and countries, it, it has just created an incredible opportunity for the church globally. Um, I, you know, Europe will never be the same after this last 10 years. I think we all know that. And one of the things that's changed, I believe, is that the, vi the vibrancy and the vitality of the evangelical movement in Europe is just picking up. And my hat's off to many of the small evangelical churches spread throughout uh, Western and Eastern Europe that have taken up this ministry to refugees. And I, there was just a meeting that was held um, in, in Europe, they had, I believe, 59 church leaders present. All of them were from a Muslim background. And the meeting was about how to invest deeper in the leadership of these uh, church leaders so that those churches can grow and thrive. And many of them, of course, are relatively young in the faith. And so that's a great and crying need. But that just shows you, I think, What's going on in Europe right now that is so exciting for the Great Commission? Absolutely. Millions have come on the shores, literally, of Europe uh, in the last few years. And uh, you you were actually on literally the, the beachhead of, of one of those places. Tell us from a firsthand perspective, what is that even like? Well, yeah, so I, I went to an island in Greece, and just to respect the privacy of the people involved and refugees, etc., I'm just going to talk about it as an island in Greece. And um, it's one of many in which refugees are coming across from Turkey. And, of course, politically what's happened is the European Union is giving Turkey money for each refugee that stays in Turkey. And they're trying to help the Turks relieve that cost. And they're also trying to stem the flow of refugees somewhat into Europe. Um, but many of those refugees are not happy with their situation. And therefore, they are doing whatever is possible to come across little strips of water and uh, get into Greece, become part of the, the massive a number of immigrants. Many will cl claim asylum, and their hope is to stay. And so I worked in a camp that was started some years ago as the stream began to grow. It's kind of a uh, first settlement camp. As people come in, they're usually put in a very temporary place for a day or two while they're processed, and they're put into a place. They may stay in this camp. Well, we met people there that had been there close to three years. We met people there that had been there just days, and uh, they're from lots of different countries. I'll, I'll just tell you one story, Mark, about one of the um, – things that I did was take a census in a very large tent. So this is kind of a settlement tent where the tent is blocked off into small cubicles using blankets and ropes hung between pipes. And they're small little cubicles, 10, 12, let's say, feet or three meters by four meters in size. And um, th those little cubicles will have a family or two or sometimes three in them. And my job was to go through a list and see if the person that was in that particular spot was where they were supposed to be. And on the sheet that I was given, there were, there were just many countries listed of their countries of origin. You know, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran, 
Those are probably the, the biggest ones that I saw. But you had Africans from as far south as the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, you had I even I even ran into a Serbo-Croatian speaking uh, Syrian gentleman. Uh, I speak Serbo-Croatian. It was funny to talk to him. Um, anyway, that doesn't even include all the languages that those countries represent. And so, uh, you know, th that to me was a little picture of the diversity that's inside just this one refugee camp. Um, and these people are, um, in some cases, I would say in fairly desperate situations. Um, I'll give you an example. There was a baby that was born in Turkey that had just come across the water about four or five days before we got there. The baby was born two months premature. Uh, so a t I'm talking a very tiny little baby. The mother was uh, Syrian, uh, Arabic speaking. And my wife took, and they'd only been in country about two days. My wife uh, took that uh, family to the hospital and spent the next day and a half trying to help her navigate, you know, through a foreign language. My wife using Google Translate uh, to, just to try to get help for this woman and her little baby. And so you had that on the one hand. Then on the other hand, you have, you know, lots of young men. Um, some are going to get asylum. Many are not. Some are going to be sent home. Some are going to be sent right back to Turkey, which if they get sent back to Turkey, their most likely fate is to go uh, into prison. And the kind of things that we did on this team uh, basically was whatever we were told to do. And um, that ranged from, uh, you know, my background is in computers, so I worked on an IT project for a couple days. Uh, conversely, um, we literally shoveled human feces. The bathroom cannot keep up with the amount of people that they have there. And so, you know, cleaning the bathrooms is part of what you do. You might be handing out blankets uh, to new arrivals. It could be all sorts of different things, but there's lots and lots of kind of direct needs that uh, people have and many different ways to serve. That's a, that's a difficult environment to work in. I hear there's a lot of turnover, a lot of stress. Uh, how, are the, how are the workers doing there that you are you were serving alongside with? Well, I, I think you're right when you say there's a lot of turnover and there's a lot of stress. Um, I mean, I witnessed one day a gentleman had taken a bunch of pallets and was basically treating them as if they were his personal property. And he was in the middle of a kind of a major thoroughfare. And so we were instructed to go and remove those pallets, etc. And um, that gentleman got very, very irate. He picked up a large rock and kind of charged one of the workers there, and she stood her ground, and she was convinced that he would not throw a rock at her because she was female. And um, eventually it was dispersed. Another time they set the ba a bathroom on fire, and one of the workers there kind of charged in to see if he could do something about it, and people started throwing stones at him from within the bathroom. Um, so it, it is, it's a stressful place. And we were only there during the day, um, in the evening times, uh, that's probably when it's a little bit more dangerous even, and people try to stay inside to stay safe. It just, it's just a, an overwhelming crush of people. I would have to say this, too. Um, my hats are off to the Greek uh, people and the Greek police force um, because they are managing in a very difficult refugee situation. I'm no stranger to refugees. I've probably seen refugees on 
you know, maybe a dozen different countries in very different situations. This is probably the most intense situation I've seen uh, firsthand. Um, and the, the Greeks are sacrificing to make way for those people. And uh, again, my hat's off to them for what they're doing. There's, you know, I should probably also mention that when you work in a camp like that, you are working with government. Um, it's a government-run camp, and as a Christian, you need to be respectful of the rules that they've laid down um, in the camp. And the workers there gave us a very thorough um, orientation when we first arrived and talked about the kind of things that we need to be careful about from a safety standpoint and, and just also cautioned us about the types of things we should or should not say religiously to the people that are in the camp. And we, we did our best to respect those rules. Now, I would also just say that if you are identified there as a Westerner, most people are assuming that you are Christian, have a Christian background, and you will get asked questions about that. And um, you need to be ready to answer those questions. I had a, a Yazidi man, uh, so he's from northern Iraq, uh, asked me very pointedly if I was a Christian and how serious I was about my religion, etc. And those conversations are usually best handled off the camp. There is an opportunity to invite people out for coffee um, off the camp if you want to do that, or for a lunch, or for a snack. Um, and I would just say there's no shortage of, of curiosity about who you are. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll share you one story along that line, um, just how desperate some of these people are to talk. There was a gentleman there, and I won't give you his name, but he was from Iraq, and he told us that uh, twelve year, uh, seven years, when he was 12 years old, so seven years to when we were speaking to him, so he was 19 at the time, his house was bombed by U.S. forces in Iraq. And um, after a day or two under the rubble, they pulled him out, and his entire family perished, except for him, and he was just a little guy at the time. And for all those years, he's been basically a refugee on the run and finally made his way to Greece. And a very haunting thing that he said to us that will be um, remembered in, in my heart for a long time is he said, we asked him if uh, how many times he's told a story. And he said, I've never told it before this because no one has ever been interested in my story. And it just, um, again, uh, yeah, your heart just breaks for people that are in this kind of situation. I don't think most of us would have even a context to understand the level of pain that that is in the camp. And, and you've already alluded to, because of that, there is, uh, as God so often does, a tremendous opportunity. And you, you mentioned the, the churches that are, are stepping up and the, the European Christians and the, the other Christians. What does, that, what does that look like or what did you see? Um, the church doing to take advantage of this moment in history? Well, of course, there's just the direct help, you know, that I was mentioning earlier. But I, I would say not, not so much in the camp we were in, because this is a really uh, kind of a temporal place for most of these people. But they're all going to, not all of them, but many of them are going to land, most of them in major urban population centers. And we did have the opportunity to, te to speak with some workers that were active um, in some of these major cities, and 
hear some of the kind of ministry that they're doing. Now, most of the work that is happening at this point in time is somewhat indigenized. In other words, it's being led by native speakers um, of countries of origin, from the countries of origin. And and so the role and the job of the, the uh, long-term missionaries that are working there is kind of turned more to working with the leadership to help develop them so they can be effective in reaching out to their own populations. And I think we have to come to the uh, acceptance of the fact that most of these foreign-born populations are settling in Europe permanently. And I think that, you know, I, I kind of come from a classic church-planting missionary-type background. And when you have that perspective, you often think of refugee ministry as something that doesn't really reach the core of that population. And so it, it's kind of, I wouldn't call it second class, but it's what you do if you can't actually live there. But in my mind, that's kind of shifted a little bit now that we need to be thinking about some of these um, large um, immigrant populations as perhaps a better place to reach into these communities uh, with the hopes that these communities will be taking the gospel home um, to where they're from. You know, I worked in Croatia, in, in um, the capital city of Croatia, Zagreb. There's a Baptist movement there that started well over 100 years ago. And the people that started that movement were actually Croatian factory workers from Detroit, Michigan, in the USA, that had moved back to Croatia after hearing the gospel in the United States and bringing that message with them. And I think uh, we should have a lot of hope that someday we'll see these immigrant populations as people in those groups become believers going back to their home countries and bringing the gospel with them as they do it. So now, now really is one of these times of unique opportunity. Yes, I've heard I've heard some of those stories, even with Afghan refugees in Europe as they head back with the gospel. Just amazing testimony. Let me tell you, we met we met some families from Afghanistan. It was kind of an interesting story. That so on our team was a gentleman that had been a a worker in Afghanistan. He was actually a European um, for many many years. He'd lived there. He spoke a couple of the different languages and dialects of Afghanistan. And as we were settling new families in, he met one that spoke one of the languages that he speaks. And it turns out that this Afghan, uh, he and his family were in Turkey when he was arrested and put in a Turkish prison. And wouldn't you know it that God had placed some believers in the Turkish prison and they told this gentleman about Christ and what Jesus has done for him, and he became a believer. He subsequently shared that message with his uh, brother-in-law and, and sister, and they were traveling as refugees now in Greece, and they were believers, and they were in that camp. Um, and they were, you know, they were influencing other refugees that were part of this refugee stream coming into Europe. So um, amazing stories about what's happening there right now with the spread of the gospel. Well, Ted, I, I want to thank you for just taking the time today and sharing a little bit of your recent story there. And just thank you for your uh, decades now long work amongst the people in Europe and now with refugees and, and beyond. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Lord bless.
Thanks for joining us today. For more information, go to pioneersineurope.com and find out how you can be a part of the mission of planting churches across Europe.